Well, our culture seems to be drunk with an emphasis on personal rights. We're obsessed with personal autonomy and our individual rights. In the past, family was understood to be about what was best for raising up children for the next generation. And now it's more about adult romance and desire. Children seem to be an afterthought. In the past, the good of the community, well, that was put ahead of the desires of the individual. Now it's all about me. Who cares about community? Who cares about the effects of my behavior on other people? This kind of selfish living, it will not work. It's not good for the individual. It's not good for a family. And ultimately, it's not good for civilization. In fact, it's devastating to civilization. This kind of thinking invades the hearts and minds of those of us who are believers. For one, we have our, our flesh, which is selfish. Our flesh encourages us, be number one, make it all about you. And our culture constantly has this, this story, this, this beat. It is all about you. It's about you and your rights. And if we're not careful as believers, we become just like the world. We begin to think like the world. We begin to act and behave like the world. We become selfish, again, which accords quite well with our natural sinful, uh, uh, sinfulness. We may be cruel as believers. We may even be vengeful when somebody doesn't let us be the king of the world. When someone doesn't allow us to have our own way, we, we may find ourselves with hearts filled with, with vengeance. But this is not the way of the cross. It's not the way of the cross. It's not the way of a follower of Jesus. So this morning's passage will be in Matthew five thirty-eight. Is going to consider how we respond when we're harmed. How do we relate to others? You see, the way of Jesus is a life of radical self-sacrifice. So as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, we see how disciples are called to live. This is what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. The world may live like that, but I'm telling you, those who follow me live like this. Their lives are distinct. Their lives are different. And so this morning, Jesus teaches what it means to be a person who lives a life of self-sacrifice. Let's look together at Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile Go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In these verses, Jesus teaches us that we are called to a life of self-sacrifice. We are called to a life of self-sacrifice. Now, in Matthew 5.38, Jesus begins, as he has uh, in this section of, of the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And, and what he, he basically says... You've heard or understood that the law said this, but I want you to understand the full meaning of the law. I want you to grasp what God's intention is in giving uh, the Old Testament. And so in verse 38, he gives 
what was frequently said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There was a, a Latin phrase for this. It was called the lex talionis, which meant the law of retaliation, the law of retaliation. And this was a, a common understanding uh, in ancient times. And of course, we see this in Leviticus chapter 24 and in other texts as well. But Leviticus 24 verses 19 and 20 says this, if anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done it, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Now, this was intended to be civil law. It was meant to prohibit personal retaliation. So let's say, for example, you do something to me and I get mad. You uh, steal uh, my ox and I get mad and I go and I kill your family. This kind of a, uh, a law in the Old Testament was, went, was meant to curb that kind of retaliation. It put the responsibility for punishment in the hands of uh, the, the governing authorities or civil authorities. So as an individual, I don't have a right to go out and lash out and respond uh, and, and treat a person however I want. Of course, it was also meant to, to help deter crime and maintain order and, and peace. Now, as you think through this passage, as you think through this, this uh, teaching from the Old Testament, there was a principle here that punishment couldn't exceed the crime. Now, in Jesus' time, times, many crimes weren't uh, settled with this principle. By this point in time, many crimes were, were settled with, with even monetary uh, or fines. Um, but what was happening in, in the uh, culture is that people were using that passage as an opportunity to take uh, retali- to retaliate when someone did something they didn't like. So let's say you do something that, that I don't like, then I have the right before God to go and do something at least equal to what you did to me. And this was a mindset that was very common. We, we understand that mindset. It's kind of a tit for tat. We, we have that tendency if we, if we don't ad- admit it, um, if we're willing to admit it, pardon me, that we kind of want to, if somebody does something to us, we want to make sure that we at least can, can equally harm them, right? There's some selfish tendency to do that. And so instead of leaving it in the hands of civil authorities, people were justifying their sinful attitudes and hearts using this command. And so in Matthew 5.39, Jesus is going to say, hey, that's not the intent of the Old Testament law. That's, that's not its intent. So what does Jesus say? But I say to you. So here Jesus is going to explain this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he's going to say, this is what it means in your life. This is how you live it out. So what does he say in verse 39? Do not resist evil. Now, in this passage, Jesus is talking about how we respond to someone personally, not a rejection of all civil authority. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but these verses have been widely misunderstood. Again, when a scripture is not quite clear, you look at the whole of scripture and you look at where similar issues are dealt with in other places of scripture and that helps us get a a good understanding of what God's word is on a particular issue. And so here as we begin to consider what other passages teach, it will help us understand this particular passage in Jesus' uh, words here. Now again, many have misunderstood this. There was a man in Martin Luther's day who, who had lice and he read these verses and he said, do not resist evil. And Martin Luther said, this fellow wouldn't kill the lice that was on his body because to do so would be to resist evil. And Martin Luther called him a crazy saint. 
Um, so this passage doesn't mean that. It, it doesn't mean that. Some have argued that this passage prohibits having a military or, or police force, but, but that's not the intent of the passage either. We, we know from reading Romans 13, verses 1 through 5, that God intends for there to be a government and for a government to maintain order and to punish criminals and to defend its people. That, that becomes clear as you, as you look at Scripture. So Jesus isn't teaching about civil authority. He's not teaching that, that there shouldn't be a police force that, that try to... Uh, control evil or punish evil or a judicial system. He's not teaching that. He's teaching about the way we behave at a personal level. Now, in fact, believers are called to stand against evil all of the time. Jesus himself, do you remember when he went into the temple and there were money changers and greedy people in there? What did he do? He started tossing them out. He, He resisted evil. He stood against evil. We see that in Matthew chapter 21. In Galatians 2.11, Paul confronts Peter. Why? Because Peter had a sinful attitude toward Gentile Christians. And Paul called him out on it. So so there's not this sense in which a Christian can never say anything to to oppose someone else. That's not true to Scripture. It's that what we say is motivated by love and that that it is right. In 1 Corinthians 5.13, Paul told the church at Corinth to expel a man who was living in open immorality. 1 Corinthians 5.13, he said, kick the guy out. Now, the intent of removing him wasn't to harm him. The intent of removing him was to try to bring him to a point of repentance and and change. So so Paul's intent wasn't to harm him. But the point I want to make is this. It is clear from Scripture that sometimes we must oppose evil. We, We must stand against that which is wrong and that which is sinful. Now, Jesus says... That instead of retaliating as believers when we are wronged, instead we ought to demonstrate love. We ought to demonstrate love. Instead of a tit for tat, we ought to show kindness. And he gives four illustrations of his point. The first illustration is the slap on the cheek, as we see uh, there in verse 39. So he says, if someone slaps Your right cheek, turn your other cheek as well. Now, most people were right-handed, and so this is a picture not of physical provocation or uh, like violent behavior as much as it's a picture of an insult. To to slap someone's right cheek, you would use the back of your right hand, and in this time, to do that was a mark of great dishonor. It was a way to, to... to insult and humiliate someone. So Jesus says, when someone comes up to you, takes the right hand and slaps you on the right side of the cheek, they insult you, they dishonor you, instead of going back at them, just turn the other cheek. Let them keep going. Wow, doesn't that go against our natural inclination? But you see, if we're believers, we are not called to live like the world. We're called to live differently. We're called to to lives of distinction. This is the way people see Jesus in us when we live differently. Now, some have argued that this passage means that a Christian could never uh, utilize self-defense. But but it's probably not best to understand that passage this way for this reason. Again, he's not giving us a picture of someone trying to kill you. He's giving you a picture of someone insulting you. In Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3 Guidelines are given for what to do if a person tries to to break into your house and how you can defend yourself, particularly if it's at night. In Luke 22, verse 36, Jesus permits his followers to carry a sword. 
Now, again, we, we don't know all of the implications of Jesus allowing his followers to carry a sword, but it, it seems clear that these verses shouldn't be understood to say that you can't defend yourself when attacked or you can't defend your family when someone is trying to harm your family. These verses are saying that when someone insults you, be willing to receive an insult. Don't get into a back and forth with them. So Jesus isn't rejecting justice. He's rejecting vengeance and retaliation. Now, consider what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so here as we think through what Jesus is teaching, we ought to come to the place as believers that we're not going to make things right. We're going to leave that in God's hands. So let's suppose that someone wrongs you instead of trying to come back at them with a similar response. You're going to say, you know what, God, putting it in your hands. This is yours. God, I'm going to trust you to exercise vengeance and to make this right. I'm not going to try to do that on my own. Now, in the second century, uh, there was a man named Polycarp. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. Now, think about this. The, the fellow who wrote John and First and Second, Third John, Revelation, he was his apostle. And he was a bishop of Smyrna. And this is into the second century. Of course, the Apostle John would have already died at this point. And because of uh, the Roman persecution of believers, it was decided that Polycarp would be put to death. He would be burned at the stake, as a matter of fact. And uh, officials from the Roman government came to his house to take him away. And when they got there, it was, it was evening. And he said to the, the folks in his house, prepare them a meal. It's obvious they've ridden a long ways. And so Polycarp offered them incredible hospitality. And it's said that those who came to take him away were blown away. Why are we arresting a fellow like this? Ultimately, Polycarp, history would tell us, was burned at the stake and stabbed with a spear. And he was giving glory to God the whole time. Never lashing out at those who would take his life. Again, he was martyred for his faith. He would not deny his faith. He was willing to stand faithful to Christ But what's remarkable is the way that he could love those who had come to hurt him. The only way that Polycarp could do that, we know, was because the love of Christ was so full in his life. That instead of responding in kind, he could respond with a love that's full. How do we do that? Because we recognize that's the kind of love we've been shown in Christ. When we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus... What does the scriptures tell us? That God shows us great love and wipes away all of our sin. So how can I respond in love when I'm wronged? Well, because when God wronged me, and pardon me, when I, let me say this right, when I wronged God, when I was against him, what did he do? He showed me grace and favor and love. There's the key. There's the key. You want to know how to walk with a life of of love and self-sacrifice, particularly in the face of provocation? 
particularly when you're wronged, it's to remember and to reflect on what God did for you in Christ. And so we can walk in love because of what he has done. Now, Jesus gives a second example in Matthew 5, 40. He gives the example of being sued. He says, suppose someone wants your tunic. Now, as we think through this passage, let's talk about what would have been ordinarily the clothing of the day. Typically, someone would have worn a loincloth and then over that, a a tunic. This would have been sort of an inner garment. And then on top of that, a cloak. This would have been the outer garment. It would be the more valuable garment. And, And often, the cloak could be used for bedding even. Somebody, maybe they were out in the field and away from home, they could use their cloak as, as bedding. Uh, often they would have a girdle, a head covering, and sandals. And so in Exodus 22, verses 25 and 26, uh, it was, uh, it was n- people were not allowed to take someone's cloak, that is their outer garment. Perhaps uh, you could take their tunic, but not their cloak. Because the cloak was critical for a person's welfare or well-being. So what does Jesus say here? If someone tries to take your inner garment, you know what? Give them your cloak too. Even though there's no way legally they would be entitled to it. Just give it to them. What's Jesus saying here? We need to go out of our way. We need to go out of our way as believers to try to live a life that is uh, marked by generosity and righteousness and kindness. And we need to leave vengeance in the hands of of God. We need to leave vengeance in his hands. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, Paul said this, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? So Paul here echoes his teachings. He writes to the Corinthian church and he says, you guys are suing each other. I can't believe Paul says that believers are actually suing believers and you're taking your disagreements before a court of law, a secular court of law, before a court of law that, uh, of unbelievers. How, how could you do that, Paul says? Instead, wouldn't it be better to be defrauded? And so here we see that obviously believers should try to work disagreements out through Christian mediation, not through, through lawsuits when, when, when a believer is in conflict with a believer. But the emphasis here is on in every way that we can, we want to go above and beyond to show kindness, to show goodness, to show mercy, even when it's undeserved. Even when it's undeserved. Paul, uh, Jesus gives uh, a second or pardon me, a third example in Matthew 5.41, a third example in Matthew 5.41. He says, suppose someone wants you to go one mile, you go two. Now, more than likely, this was a reference to uh, uh, the Roman occupation of Palestine because during this time period, of course, the Israelites hated the fact that Rome controlled their land. And a Roman soldier could, could go to an Israelite and say, hey, you've got to do this for me. And all of a sudden, they had the responsibility to carry out whatever that task uh, was. We see this in Scripture in Matthew 27, 32, when Simon was called upon to carry the cross of Jesus. Remember that? And so, so at any point in time, a Roman, a Roman soldier could say, hey, you, you do this. And, and you had to do it. And so what Jesus is saying is suppose someone comes to you and says, hey, you got to go one mile. I need you to carry this for one mile. Jesus says, you know what? Go to. Go to. Why would he say that? Why? Because as believers, we're supposed to be a people of love, a people of self-sacrifice. 
Instead of demanding our own ways and our own rights and what we want, we're supposed to be a people who are willing to lay our lives down just as our Savior has done for us. Folks, we try to come up with reasons and rationalizations for our sinfulness, but Jesus will have none of that. His intent is that our lives be radically changed, that we follow him in faithfulness. So, the fourth example in verse 42, he says, if someone begs from you, then then give. Now, it doesn't say what to give. It could be that you give attention and help. We know that in some situations, you can do more harm to someone in giving, and and so, so this gets complex and complicated. But what we see here clearly is there's a sense in which we're concerned for the good of those who have need, and we're willing to give. We know from 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that, that, that the general order of things is that a person works. And, and of course, there's extenuating circumstances sometimes, but, but clearly the heart of a believer is to have a heart of, of generosity. He says if someone asks you to, to, to borrow something, let them borrow it. Again, the, the posture here is that we want to be a blessing to people. We, we know that in Proverbs 22, uh, 26, and other passages, there are warnings about lending and, and such as that. So we have to be careful in this. We, we recognize this is not a, a foolish uh, directive to, to just allow people to live in a sinful way that would harm themselves, but, a, but it's to be generous and to act in a, a way that would help them and, and bless them. So what is Jesus saying? You think it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You think if someone does something wrong to you, you've got the right to provide or to, to carry out an equal judgment personally. But Jesus says, I want you to know, don't even retaliate at all when you're offended personally, when you're harmed personally. Instead, I want you to be generous and sacrificial and loving. Now, folks, that's countercultural. That, that, that's countercultural that we would not demand our rights, but that we would lay our lives down for the good of others. But it is like our Savior So let's think through some of the implications of this in our own lives today. First, we must not retaliate or seek revenge. We must not retaliate or or seek revenge. Suppose someone did something harmful to you. Let's suppose someone broke into your car. Well, you don't have a right to to carry out revenge and go and find that person and take a baseball bat to them. You, You don't have the right to do that. We understand that, but... It would be right to turn that into civil authorities and allow civil authorities to to carry out the the, uh, proper uh, uh, justice. That that would be appropriate. This is not that kind of rejection, but it's it's about my one-to-one relationships. Now, many of us, when we're wronged, we don't carry out some vengeful act, but this is what we do. We have a vengeful heart, and we think, oh, I hope he gets his. Boy, after all she did to me, and I hope it comes back to her. And we have a vengeful, wicked heart. That's sin. As you read the Sermon on the Mount, what's happening in our hearts is of utmost importance to God. That's sinful. It's wrong. So don't have a vengeful heart. Remember all that Christ has done for you. Remember all the sins that you've been forgiven. And instead of listing them to you, what does he do? He wipes them away. What incredible news. How would you like... How would you like it if God said to you, yeah, remember when you did this and that and this and that, and oh, wouldn't the list be unlimited? 
if God were holding all of our sin against us. But in Christ, all that's gone. It's forgiven. It's wiped away. How could anyone offend us more than we've offended a holy God? That's the key to not walking in in vengeance and not having a vengeful heart. Second, be willing to sacrifice your honor for the good of others. Be willing to sacrifice your honor for the good of others. When Jesus says if someone walks up and slaps you on the face, give him the other side, he's saying be willing to be insulted. Be willing to be dishonored. Now this happens all of the time on social media where you get upset about something and then you go splatter that out for everyone to read. Brothers and sisters, that's not how believers should walk. We, we, don't, we don't live that way. That's the way the world lives, yes, but it's not the way those of us who have experienced the forgiveness and the blood of the Lord Jesus live. Let's not be those kind of people, those people who ignore the clear teaching of Christ. No, be willing to take dishonor, that God's name might be lifted up. You see, as a believer, when you take dishonor that, that isn't fair and you respond in a way that is kind and generous and loving and sacrificial, you know what you ultimately do? You point people to Jesus. You help them see what he's like. You help them see that this whole Christianity thing is really real. The best apologetic, the best defense of the Christian faith is the Christian life sincerely lived out. That is something that an unbelieving world cannot deny. When we really live out what we say. Now, we're all going to stumble and fall, but in those situations, we go and we ask for forgiveness. We go and make things right. We post and say, you know what? Earlier, I said this or did that. It was wrong and sinful. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said it. We try to, we try to the degree that, that we've made a mess of something, we try to make it right and seek forgiveness. Third, how do we flesh this out in, in our, our lives today? Be willing to sacrifice your comfort for the good of others. Give up your tunic, if you will. Give up what, what would be of comfort to you and of help to you. Be willing to give it up so that, that, that others might be blessed and helped and that your witness might be good. Fourth, be willing to sacrifice your time and your freedom for the good of others. We know that God made people in his image and, and as such, people were meant to be free. After the fall, things were messed up and and, and, and nothing has worked exactly like it should after Genesis 3, and so people have, have been oppressed and, and such throughout history. And so God's intent is that we walk in freedom, but sometimes as believers, we give up our freedoms, we give up our liberties for the sake of what's good for others, for the sake of what's good for our witness in Christ like the, the fellow who was willing to go the second mile or the woman who said, you know what, you're asking this of me, but I'll go here. That, that's the kind of life that Christ is calling us to. Fifth, be willing to sacrifice your money for the good of others. Be willing to sacrifice your money for the good of others. Somebody harms you, hurts you. Be willing to, to bless them. Now, I heard a man talk about this and and he was a Christian leader, and he often faced opposition. And, and he said that a man had written a, just a smear story uh, about him in the Wall Street Journal. And he said nothing about it was true. And he said, my heart was so filled with anger, and I was infuriated by the story. And he said, I recognized that my heart was 
just absolutely wrong and sinful before God. And so I asked God to forgive, to forgive me. And I thought, what could I do to try to make my heart submit? And so I sent the man who wrote the story a tie. And he said that before that man died, he had sent him 32 ties. Now, <laughs> I'm not encouraging you to send those who would harm you a tie. But brothers and sisters, I am saying to you that those of us who are true Christ followers are going to strive to be a blessing in the lives of others and even those who would hurt us, even those who would wound us. So, six, resist the tendency to insist on your own rights. Instead, strive by God's grace and by the Spirit's empowering to look out for the good of others, for the good of others. Now, seventh, and the church ought to be the most counter cultural organization or people in the whole world as we put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. So, so as believers, we ought to be the place where folks who are out in the world can come and go, wow, what is that place? It's exceptional the way that they care for each other and that they love each other and the way that out in the world they strive to, to live lives of peace and of blessing to other people. So this means we lay down our own rights for the good of others within the the family of God. It may mean that we lay down our preferences, what we had rather, for the good of the body. So I like it when the church is this. Now, you can't do this with biblical issues. We have to be faithful to Scripture. But I like it when the church is this or does that. But it's not a biblical issue. Well, maybe maybe that doesn't seem to fit with, with the church overall. Well, then I'll lay down my preferences. Why? Because... I don't want to put myself first. I want to put the Lord first. I want to put others first. The life of sacrifice is simply the life of faithfully following the Lord Jesus. Consider 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might also follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So what's our example? Our example is to live as the Lord Jesus lived. What did he do? He laid his own life down. He didn't sin. He wasn't guilty, and yet he was nailed to the cross. Why was he nailed to the cross? He was nailed to the cross because I sinned. And because, ma'am, you sinned. Because, sir, you sinned and rejected him. And instead of saying, as he certainly had the right to do, being God, I'm going to wash my hands of these folks. I'm done. What did he do? took his own son and he sent him to this earth as a little baby and he grew up and ultimately a man who lived without sin on earth was nailed to the cross and given the death of a wicked criminal and because of his great sacrifice those of us who are estranged from God who are apart from God can now have peace with him If there's never been a time in your life where you've made genuine peace with God, 
Would today be the day? You, you don't know how long you have. Some of you will be tempted this morning to put off this important decision as you've done so many times before. And yet the Lord is pleading with you this morning through his word to come and find forgiveness, to come and find hope, to come and find life. You see, when we say to God, I'm done going my own way, I want to follow you. I believe in you and I'm seeking your forgiveness. The Bible tells us that God (laughs) wraps us up in his arms, puts us in his hands, if you will, and he never lets us go. Oh, I plead with you today, if you've never trusted, today you could become a child of God, knowing his incredible grace and mercy. Maybe you've heard the story of Chad Arnold. He was diagnosed with a very uh, serious and rare liver disease at the age of 25. Uh, Around a decade later, the disease took a turn for the worse and, and death was imminent. His only hope was was a transplant, but because his condition had so rapidly declined, the potential for him to receive a transplant was was essentially zero because of the the weight that a person would have to be on. And so his younger brother, Ryan, went through tests to see if he was a match, and it turned out he, he was a match. And so Ryan went onto the operating table, and a segment of his liver was taken out, And it was put into his brother Chad. And just days later, Ryan would would die after this surgery. And his brother Chad would would go on living. Now the truth is, those of us who are believers are called to live a life of radical self-sacrifice. And all of us who know Jesus, we've experienced what Chad did because Jesus, he died in our place. So if you're a believer here today, I urge you, don't be a person who retaliates, who tries to harm. Be a person who loves and gives and bears with for the good of other people and for the glory of God. And if you're not a believer, please recognize, please see, Jesus gave his own life for that fatal disease, that fatal disease of sin, and he offers you eternal life. Join me in prayer.